Good morning, church, my brothers and my sisters. So good to be with you this morning. We are in a sermon series on prayer, particularly the Lord's Prayer. Um, uh, For me, when I think about prayer, sometimes praying can be like wedding rehearsal dineras. Uh, in, in case you're wondering what I am talking about, here, here's what I mean. So as a pastor, you get invited to officiate weddings, and part of officiating weddings is wedding rehearsal dinners, right? Now, wedding rehearsal dinners, in case you don't know, they're like two hours long. You're surrounded by people that you don't know. And of course, if you're a pastor, the couple makes sure that you're sitting with their families, right? So you're sitting next to mom, dad, brother, sister, crazy uncle sometimes, okay? And, and, and when you're sitting by somebody at one of these dinners that you don't know for two hours, you have to work at the conversation. Anyone who has any kind of social skills knows you have to learn how to talk to somebody that you don't know and try and be interesting and be interested, right? But it takes work. There's nothing natural about, at least for someone like me, an extreme introvert. You have to work at it, and the conversation is a bit stilted, and it's not very familiar. Sometimes you say trivial things, or sometimes you say something where you're like, why in the world did I say that? <laughs> See, I think that's the way most of, our, most of us are when we first start to pray. As I mentioned last week, prayer is important, but it's, either, it's neither natural nor easy. And it's a struggle to pray. And even when we do, it's stilted because we don't know the one that we're praying to. See, this is why if you've ever heard somebody who really knows how to pray, it's like they're talking to somebody that they know. They know the one that they're praying to. Like I'm reminded of Exodus 34 where it says, do you remember God spoke to Moses, what, face to face as a man speaks to a friend. See, contrast wedding rehearsal dinners with someone that you don't know to a friend that you're close to. where you know exactly what they're thinking about without actually talking to them. Conversation flows. It's easy. It's natural. Frankly, you have one of these friends, you don't even have to talk to each other when you're together. You could be driving somewhere. They're sitting next to you. And you feel just as comfortable in silence as you are to engage in conversation. You don't need to come up with a talk list to be with them. Because you're constantly aware of their presence. Because you're thinking about them. And they're thinking about you. That is what God intended prayer to be. God intended prayer to be this privilege where you get to commune with him. And you get to know him intimately. And check this out, church. And this is why I'm so excited about praying, uh, preaching this series. In the Lord's Prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying to you and me, hey, hey, come close. Let me show you what God's heart is like. 
Let, let, me, let me give you a glimpse into the heart and soul of your father. Let me show you what delights him. Let me show you what he's passionate about. Let me show you what he's thinking about. Let me show you what he's up to in, in your life, in your church, family, in the city, and in the world. Let me show you a glimpse into his heart. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus not only gave us a model of how to pray, but he was giving you and me a glimpse into the heart of God. Uh, if we truly understand what the Lord's Prayer is, and not just pray it, but actually live it, this is a big statement. I'm going to say this. It will unlock the key to kingdom living. It will unlock the secret to kingdom living. Jesus is saying to you and me, do you know why there's emptiness in your life? You don't know how to pray. Don't you? Wouldn't you like to come face to face with the creator of the universe every day and pour out your heart to him? And check this out. Since him pouring his heart to you. Wouldn't you like to connect with God like that? Wouldn't that fulfill you deeply? I'm telling you, the remedy for everything that ails us is found right here in this prayer. If you truly understand what this prayer is, and again, actually do it, live it, pray it, we uncover the secret to living the life Jesus talked about when he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So we are looking at the Lord's Prayer, church. And then, like I said, I am so excited about this series. Now, we have the Lord's Prayer, and we have the disciples to thank for that, right? Because Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer in response to the disciples coming to Jesus, saying, hey, teach us how to pray. In Luke's account of where Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, here's what we find. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, as far as we know, there's no record of anyone asking Jesus to teach them how to lead, how to counsel, how to heal, or cast out demons, or, or to preach. They may have asked him, but there's no record of that in the Gospels. And perhaps it was because they could see that Jesus is leading, his counseling, his healing, his casting out demons, and his preaching ministry emerged out of his relationship with his father. And they saw that the key to that relationship was what? Prayer. After all, they were used to seeing Jesus slipping away all the time to what? Commune with his father. So when they said, teach us how to pray, they were saying, Jesus, will you teach us how to relate to the one that you call Father and the way you do? And his answer, and this is the text we're on, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, was what? This then is how you should pray. And what follows, of course, is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. By the way, it should really be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus probably didn't pray this prayer for himself because there are parts in it that wouldn't be relevant to Jesus. For example, forgive us our 
debts, right? We know that Jesus was the sinless, perfect son of God. But Jesus is not implying in this prayer that these are the only words to say or that this is the only order in which to say them, but rather he was offering us a model to help us enter into authentic communion with the Father. It's as though Jesus is saying in this prayer, here's the kind of prayer that pleases my Father. Here's the kind of praying your Father loves to hear and loves to answer. Um, as we launch in, here's the challenge. These are 57 words in the original Greek. 57, that's all. And they are so familiar to us, aren't they? Uh, people have taken this prayer and done what Jesus told us not to do in Matthew 6, 7, which is we made it, what, vain repetition. We've made it rote prayer devoid of meaning. I mean, we, we say the Lord's Prayer without even thinking about it, right? It's like the, the example that I give is, you know, if you've ever visited someone in Chicago who lives right by one of the L stops, right? I mean, you, you visit them for the first time and you're sitting at the kitchen table, right? And all of a sudden, there's like an earthquake come in and you hear rattling and you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, what was that? To which they respond, what, what was what? You didn't hear that? That, that, uh, oh, the, uh, the train. I don't even hear it anymore. It's so familiar. You don't even notice it anymore. You get used to things that come through all the time. You get used to the sounds, the sights, and the smells. You don't hear them anymore. So church, here's the thing. The great danger is that the key to connecting with God, given to us by Jesus himself, the key to kingdom living, because it's so common, it's so familiar. We don't even hear it anymore. We don't smell it. We don't see it. We don't taste it. So we miss it. So we have to overcome that by continually reminding ourselves of what it is and what it means. We have to dig and search and commit to praying this the way Jesus taught us to pray. All right. So we're going we're gonna to jump in here. Jump in here. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the, our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From the evil one. 57 words in the original Greek. There are six petitions here. Most scholars were divided as sort of three petitions up front, three petitions. I'm not going to go a ton today into sort of the structure. We'll, we'll talk about them in the upcoming weeks. But notice that there's a certain order here, and the order tells us a great deal about the essence of prayer. Jesus is saying you have to follow the order here or else you rip up the fabric of prayer. Okay? Now, what is the order? Talked about this last week. The first part of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Three petitions on earth as it is in heaven. The first half has nothing to do with what? My needs, 
my bread, my guilt, my anger towards people, strength that I need to face daily challenges. The focus is not on our needs, but on our provider. The focus is not on our needs. As we'll see, he cares about that. But the focus is what? On our provider. This, this isn't how we pray. Let's be honest, right? Because so much of our praying is about my needs. We rarely look beyond my needs to the one who promised to meet all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We miss the one who promised, seek my kingdom, what, first? And all these things will be added unto you. Jesus said, the first thing I want you to do in prayer is what? I'm noticing God. I'm rejoicing in God. I'm delighting God. I'm treasuring God. It's adoration. And prayer is not about getting things from God. It's about getting God. Prayer is not about informing God. It's first and foremost enjoying God. Come on. Your father already knows what you need before you ask. So, so what's the point of praying? We pray because we want God. We pray because we want God. The prayer, the way the prayer works is before you ask God for things, Jesus says. Ask for God. So Christian, let me ask you a question as you and I examine our prayer lives. Do you want God's heart? Or are you only after what's in his hands? Do you want God's heart? Only after what's in his hands. Too often, we don't want his heart. We only want what's in his hand. But when you love the answer from God, more than you love God, the answer will actually take you further and further and further away from God. And I'm telling you, child of God, he loves you too much to let that happen. Here's the reason why. If God is true source of joy, of peace, and of life, why would God give you something that will take you further away from the true source of life and of joy and of peace and of truth, which is himself? Uh, let me tell you about a conversation I had. A woman comes up and says, you know, Pastor Peter, my prayer life was just asking God for things, like many of us. And here's the interesting thing she said, right? She said, now afterwards, though, I always felt worse, not better. Because all I did in praying, and that this was so, so insightful, all I did in praying was rehearse what I was worried about, what I was afraid of, what I was anxious about, right? What I was bitter about, what I was obsessed about. That's all I was doing, asking God, just rehearse the thing. So she said, so I decided to do this. First 80% of prayer, I just thought about who God was and what he's done for me. And at the end of that, I found myself just going, you already know, don't you? Here. Take it. And I felt like, she said, I understood what prayer was for the first time in my life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer line by line, phrase by phrase. You know your pastor. Okay? 
Now, I'm going to tell you up front. I'm going to tell you up front. If it was me, St. Therese said, apparently, there was a woman who would meditate for two hours on just the words, our father, our father. And, and you're going to actually get a glimpse of why that's actually fairly easy to do. Now, so what I'm going to do, though, is I'm not going to spend two hours on just two words, okay? I'm going to try and slow this down a little bit so that we can take our time thinking about each word, okay? Now, today, we're just going to cover our Father in heaven. And most of my time today is going to be spent on the Father, okay? And in the upcoming weeks, I'll talk a little bit more about our and in heaven, okay? So our Father in heaven, that's all we're doing today. So first and foremost is the word what? Father. What is Jesus teaching us about prayer when he says, begin this way, our Father. Notice it's not the man upstairs. Notice it's not big guy. Now, Look, I don't mind people praying that way, or even, frankly, dear God. But Jesus says, pray what? Our Father. Why? He wants you to remember you are what? His son. His daughter. He wants you to remember when you pray that you're a child of God. He wants you to remember your identity. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this, but I'm going to say it. Your identity is you are a child of God. You are not your past. You are not the sum total of your mistakes. You are not a reject. You are not someone who got passed over. You are a child of God. You are spiritually, genetically connected, related by blood to the creator of the universe. Yes, he is upholding the trillion stars in the universe by the power of his word. He is upholding and sustaining every organ of the 7.6 billion people on planet Earth. But you and I have God's attention when we pray. Because he is your father. I can't even wrap my mind around this. The only person that can wake up the king at 3 o'clock in the morning for a glass of water is the child of that king. Jesus says, before you go on to anything else, start with what? Remembering Father. Bring it to the depths of your soul who you're praying to, who you're praying to. Now, to fully understand the magnitude of this, because, you know, we, we live today, and so we don't understand the full magnitude of this. You need to remember that the, to the Jews of Jesus today, his audience, this intimate, personal way of approaching God is unheard of. You're talking about a group of people who didn't dare utter the personal name of God because they thought it was too holy. Fear, distance were operative words in the minds of the first century Jew when they thought of God. So while it may have been understood by them that God was Father, nobody, and I mean nobody, ever dared call him my Father. Until what? Jesus came along. Jesus comes along. And he's constantly referring to God as what? My father, my father. Matter of fact, he was killed for it. In fact, every one of his prayers recorded in the Bible, except one, begins with Jesus saying, Father, did you know that? And not just Father, because the Aramaic term for Father, the Aramaic term for Father that Jesus used was what? 
Abba, Father. Whereas there's not a single instance of God being addressed as Abba in all literature of Jewish prayer, Jesus constantly addressed God as Abba, Father. In Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he is to go to the cross, Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Please understand the radical statement that this is and was. Come on, somebody. Abba. And you know this because this is found in our culture today too. Abba is an intimate term that be used in families between a child and their fathers. Abba is literally the equivalent of daddy or dada. It's not a stiff, solemn address, but a term of endearment spoken with affection and deep intimacy that only a child could bring. I can't tell you what it does to my soul when one of my children says, Daddy. And when Jesus said, Abba, Father, he's saying, I know. And I relate to him, the sovereign God of the universe, with the intimacy of a child climbing up in his daddy's lap, throwing his arms around his neck and saying, I love you, Abba. Let's be clear. His point wasn't about irreverence. It was about relationship. And to the first century mind, it was absolutely revolutionary thought. But church, but church, here is what was even more revolutionary. Because Jesus turns right around and says to his disciples and us what? Now when you pray, you call him Abba. You and me call him Abba, Father, because that's who he is. Jesus saying he is your Abba, too. How, how, how is this possible? The gospel, that's why. John 1.12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, that is the power, authority to become children of God. Jesus, John, Jesus is saying here, if you belong to me, if you place your faith and trust in me, then you too can have the same status that I have. You too can have the intimacy that I have with the Father. You too can call him Abba, Father. You can know and relate to the creator of the universe with this level of intimacy. I don't even know what to do with that. It's so astounding. 
Hey, this is why Augustine said the Lord's Prayer is something that we dare to say. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God because that, he says, is what we are. Now, church, think for a moment with me. Think for a moment. What does the Father think of Jesus? How much does the Father love his Son, Jesus? You know what incredible lengths Jesus went to. What incredible oceans he swam to save us. Think about the love and the honor that the Father bestows upon his son. But here is what's absolutely mind-blowing. John chapter 17, Jesus says, Father, I want you to love them even as you love me. I've never gotten over those two words, even as. That's why I keep bringing it up. Even as you love me. The Bible says God makes absolutely no distinction between his affection for his son Jesus and his affection for you. He loves you to the same degree he loves his son Jesus. He loves you with the same intensity that he loves his son Jesus. His love for you is not contingent upon your prayer life. He loves you, is the gospel. Why would you not want to spend time with someone like this? Why would you not want to pray to someone like this? When you and I say, Father, Father, you're saying because of Jesus I now have received the status of being a child of God. I now have the God-given, God-invited audacity and the authority to call you Father and to expect that you will love me even as you love your son, Jesus. Do you see why Jesus said, start here? Start with this. If your prayer life is boring, you don't get this. If your prayer life lacks intimacy, you don't understand this yet. If your prayer life lacks power, you have not grasped yet and gotten hold of this truth. Here's why this is important for prayer. The fundamental life-changing truth to prayer begins here. God is for you. God is for you. The greatest temptation of the enemy is get you and I to question God's heart and his intentions. Because if we question God's heart and his intentions, we will not trust him. And if we do not trust him, we will not follow him. God is for you. My circumstances don't corroborate that truth. The cross of Jesus corroborates that truth. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us what? All things. If you don't believe that, you won't pray at all, or you'll pray small, timid prayers. But if you do believe this, that God is for you, I guarantee you and I will pray bold, big, audacious prayers. We 
pray small prayers because we do not know the one that we're praying to. Being a parent means that your heart is bound up with the heart of your children. It's bound up with the heart of your children. It's actually an awful thing. <laughs> I take a hundred times more pleasure in their successes than any of my own. Bound up with them. When my kids get hurt, I feel their pain. When they cry, I weep with them. When they struggle, I lay awake at night, church, thinking about them. But if that is how I, a flawed, self-centered, sinful human being feels towards my children, what do you think a perfect heavenly father, father feels towards you. You don't have to wonder because Jesus told us in the same Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 9, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? Verse 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Say that with me. How much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If my imperfect sinful heart is so bound up with the joy of my children, how much more, how much more, how much more is our heavenly Father's heart bound up with your joy? He is driven by a greater passion for your joy than any parent on earth. God answers our prayers, not because we're good, but because he is a good, good father. Can I ask you this? If you truly believe this, that he is your father, how would this change your prayer life? Come on, somebody. How would this change your prayer life? If this really sunk in, would your response be different to that unanswered prayer right now? Would your response be different when God says no? Or not now? Our Father has promised to supply all of our needs. That means that what we don't have now, we don't need now. He has promised to supply all of our needs. That means what we don't have now, in His perfect wisdom, He says, you don't need now. Our Father never denies us our heart's desire except to give us something better. Never. Before we move on, I, I, need, to, I, need, to, I need to do this because I'm fully aware that the term Father 
is a problematic image for so many people. I know that for a lot of folks in our church, too. A lot of folks, men and women, who struggle with calling God Father, right? Because the word Father and the image of Father is fraught with feelings of disappointment, pain, anger, and in some cases, an awful sense of abandonment. So there's a part of me that's like, ah, Jesus, I wish you would have used another term. And the Holy Spirit put this verse in my mind. John 14, 9, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. And I heard the Holy Spirit, Jesus, say to me, Peter, the Father is just like me. God the Father, he's just as good. He's just as gentle, just as kind, just as approachable, just as vulnerable, just as welcoming, just as generous as Jesus. Jesus is open arms are the open arms of the Father. Jesus' open heart is the open heart of his Father. The passion of Jesus is to help you and me know his Father the way he knows his Father. To love the Father just as he loves the Father and for us to trust his Father the way he trusts his father. And we have the Holy Spirit on top of that, crying within our hearts, what? Abba, Father. So Lord, I pray that whoever is struggling with this image of Father would experience deep healing and transformation. One last thing before I move on. See, I, see, see, you see why I can like go two hours on this, okay? I, I wish I could. Maybe I will next. I don't know. No, notice, notice, no, notice there's nothing in the Lord's Prayer about praying in Jesus' name. <laughs> yeah, I was growing up in church. We were taught somewhere from somebody. Hey, it's important to end it with in Jesus' name. And now nobody really explained why. You know, so some of us, it's kind of like, well, God doesn't answer the prayer unless you say, in Jesus' name. It's sort of like an extra kick in the prayer. <laughs> so if the prayer was really important, you know, we'd say, in Jesus' name, with more emphasis, in Jesus' name. Like, get there, Lord. Do you know what Jesus' name in the Lord's Prayer is? It's our Father. What do I mean? When we say, our Father we're remembering that we're coming to him in what? In Jesus' name. That is, Jesus made accessible our ability to come to the Father. It's because of Jesus' work on our behalf that we can call him Father. So when you and I close a prayer in Jesus' name, let me ask you something. Are you merely repeating a phrase or are you truly focusing on the one 
who has made a way for you and I to approach the throne of grace with confidence and say, Father, Father. <sighs> but it's not my Father. I can't go too deep into this today and next week. It's what? Our Father. Our Father. Matter of fact, all the first person pronouns in the Lord's Prayer are what? In the plural. Why? Jesus is saying prayer should remind us that we are part of a larger community of believers. He's saying that when you pray, remember that when you and I are baptized into Christ, we are at the same time baptized into the body of Christ that is the church. We get the father and his kids at the same time. As I love to remind you, we don't get one without the other. The most ironic thing for me then <laughs> is for somebody who's like, oh, I don't need people. I don't need people. I don't need a church. I don't need a church for Christian life to pray our Father in heaven. What? Every time you and I pray the Lord's Prayer, it ought to remind us of the powerful reality that there is no such thing as Christianity without community. Christianity without the church. And as we'll see later, when, you get, when we get to give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins and deliver us from uh, uh, evil, it has powerful ramifications, not just about what we say, but how we actually live this prayer. We'll get to that. But two couple real quick implications of our Father. First, it means that we should be praying with our church family. We should be praying with our church family. This is one of the gifts of my upbringing in the Korean church, y'all. The beauty of corporate prayer. It was instilled in me early on that praying with other believers in a corporate setting was absolutely essential to following Jesus. Do you know why? Because nothing cements us better than praying with each other. Show me a church that prays, and I'll show you a church that's one. Come on here. Come on here. A praying church. Is a united church. And we see that it was a normal, natural part of the early church in the book of Acts. What are they doing when the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost in Acts chapter 1? They are in the upper room, what? Praying corporately together. And God moves powerfully in the book of Acts, and we constantly find they devoted themselves to prayer. They met together. They, they, they. As we launch the 40-day prayer challenge, we are going to provide spaces, hello, for you to pray with other people, corporately. Please take advantage of them. I would love to see our corporate prayer gatherings just blow up because we realize how important praying with our family is. And also, secondly, real quick, we should also be praying for our family, for. It's the way we live the one another commands in the scriptures, right? We are called to regularly Pray for one another in the body. You know what intercession is? Intercession is basically love praying. In the truest sense, intercession is love on its knees. Love on its knees. So as you pray for your knees, ask God to show you others who are enduring the same thing. Now, you might not even know them personally, but that's okay. God does know. So when you pray for a job situation, say, Lord, I pray for others. When you pray for your marriage, pray for others. When you pray for your finances, pray for others. When you pray for yourself, remind yourself, our. 
Now, the most noticeable change you'll see in the prayer life as you begin using the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for this. Check this out, church. This is so powerful. You'll notice, you'll find yourself praying, as you'll find yourself praying about others' needs more and your own needs less, and yet finding your own personal needs met more fully than ever before. Let me say that again. As you pray the Lord's Prayer with this in mind, you'll find yourself praying about others' needs more and your own needs less, and yet finding that your own personal needs are actually met more fully. Do you know why? It's what happens when you begin thinking the way God thinks and seeking his kingdom first above your own. So who can you pray with today? Who can you pray for today? Our Father. And lastly, in heaven. Our Father in heaven. We pray to our Father who is in heaven. Oh, again, I wish I can, I keep reporting myself. Well, we'll come back to this. 20 times in the book of Matthew alone, we pray, we see the phrase, Father in heaven. In heaven. God in heaven. 20 times just in Matthew alone. Jesus is leading us to reflect when he says that to whom we pray, specifically the God we pray to is both imminent and transcendent. Big fancy theological words, which I'll explain. Imminent and transcendent at the same time. Imminence means God is close by. He's near. God's not distant. God is not far away. He is right by our side. To which you go, but, 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 but in heaven seems like God is far off in the distance. That's because we don't understand that the language here is literally God in the heavens. It's plural. Do you know that? In the first century mind, this was a way of designating heavens as every location, every place at one time. Heavens. I love what Dallas Willard says when he says, this is what we're supposed to be praying. Our Father always near us, always with us, always by us. Heavens. But the other part of this in heaven would also conjure up in the mind of the first century Jew the idea of a God who is transcendent, that is holy other, not of earth, holy other, that is a God who is on the throne. Somebody. In Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus says, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's what? Throne. Or by earth, for it is God's footstool. In heaven is literally God on his throne. And let's just be honest. It might be therapeutic a little bit to pray. But if God is not on his throne, then we have no real hope that he can do what we ask of him. But Jesus is saying what? There is a throne and somebody is sitting on it. We can dare to hope that when we pray, hello somebody, something happens. Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Let's say that again. Our God is on his throne. He does whatever pleases him. We pray to the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present, and he is still on the throne, church. That means that we pray with expectancy because we pray to the God who acts, who moves. 
Prayer is defiant faith in action. Defiant faith is praying with expectancy despite obstacles, despite circumstances, because we trust and believe that our God is on his throne and he does whatever pleases him. Our prayer life, church, is small because we don't know the one that we're praying to. I'm telling you. Our God is in heaven. The God in heaven is the one who has power over nature. The God in heaven is the one who has power over circumstances and events. The God in heaven is the God who has power over our lives. Paul challenges us, our vision of our prayer when he writes in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The operative word is imagine. What can you imagine, he says, when you pray? What can you imagine? Bold prayers honor God. And God honors bold prayers. God is not offended by your boldest prayers. Matter of fact, I think he is offended by anything less. Because if your prayers are impossible for you, then they're too small. If your prayers aren't impossible for you, they're too small. Because they don't require his intervention, him to act. But ask God to part the Red Sea. Ask God to make the sun stand still. Ask God to float an iron axe head. And I'm telling you, God has moved to omnipotent action. The greatest tragedy in life are the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. The greatest tragedy in life are prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. Jesus says, if you believe, you will receive what? Whatever you ask in my name. Ask, seek, knock. James says, you do not have because you ask not. Isaiah 65, before they call, I will answer. Enlarge your vision of prayer, Christian. Our prayers affect the way God acts in the world. Our prayers change the course of history. There is a connection between your prayers and the way that God acts in the earthly realm. God uses our prayers as a means to accomplish his purposes in the world. His name will be hallowed. His kingdom will come. His will will be done all in response to the prayers of his people. Somebody said this, when we rely on organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. What can you imagine? Pray with me. Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Oh. Our Father, my Father, who is near, who is 
powerful. Hallowed be your name, your wonderful, amazing, powerful name. Let your name be esteemed, cherished, treasured, and adored in my life and in all the earth. Let your kingdom come. Let your rule and your reign fill the earth by bringing healing, restoration, and reconciliation to our world today. And yes, Father, will you help me resize, reorder, reprioritize my tiny little kingdom in light of your kingdom. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is as quickly and as joyfully as the angels do it in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Provide for us what we need just for today. For you promised you will give us tomorrow what we need tomorrow. We trust you. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Yes, Father, just as I have been forgiven freely, graciously, lovingly, without condition, grant me the strength and courage and humility to forgive others. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Protect me, guide me, lead me in the way of truth. I can come and call you Father. My Father. Because of your Son, Jesus. And so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.